The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Thanks for joining me this week. Thanks for coming back if you've listened before. And your faithful American Muslim patriot, your faithful correspondent on Reform, always willing to push the envelope, always willing to challenge our community on the areas that need reform and the areas that should be addressed and on the issues, whether domestic or foreign, that help unify our country as Americans as believers in liberty, as believers in our Constitution, and against the Sharia state, the Islamic state of any kind, which is incompatible as a theocracy, incompatible with American freedom, liberty, and constitutional republic that we know and love to be ours. And whether you're American or not, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in the secular state, be it French, Canadian, German, British, Italian, Australian, or even hopefully post-Arab awakening in the Middle East, these will evolve towards democracies, but they are not yet today. Even Iraq, which was chaperoned for a while and now has begun to revert back into tribal theocratic enclaves, we still believe that the best system of all globally is that based in freedom and liberty. And week to week, I bring you those areas that need reform, those areas that we should address. And now in 2018, we saw in our first few episodes that there's something there's something happening. There's something on the ground in Iran. And, you know, for long, the Arab awakening seemed to be limited to the Arab countries. The Green Revolution of 2009 had been abandoned by the Obama administration and and what will happen now, and we're going to cover that today. But I'm also going to touch on the the rampant, the rampant viral, not influenza, <laughs> that is pushing the ERs, that is using our Tamiflu and all the other aspects that seems to be pushing a, a vaccine, by the way, that seems to only be 10, 15% effective. But no, this virus, this virus is anti-Semitism that, is, that walks hand in hand, foot to foot, with political Islam and Islamism, and we see another sermon this week released by memory that exposes that. And then we'll talk about what's the latest in Syria. So welcome back to Reform This this week. I hope this is the place that you get up to speed on the latest. I hope that uh, you hear a voice here that talks about things that you just don't get anywhere else. So this week, I you know, hats off to the folks at Memory, the Middle East... Media Research Institute that finds, has researchers, interns, uh, staff that is constantly combing the web of videos and sometimes taking their own videos and then post them to expose, not exacerbating or or, or expressing some uh, of their own opinion that can later be twisted by Islamists as being part of a conspiracy. No. Well, they still twist this, but they simply post the very videos of the words of the imams themselves and let them speak for themselves. And that's truly how reform is done. Now, what do we Muslims do with it when we see it? What does the world do with it? 
Unfortunately, for the most part, many times these videos are just viewed and then nothing happens. They may get millions of hits. But then what happens? What happens to the imam? What happens to the community? Do they get marginalized? Do they get ostracized? Do they get exposed as tools of anti-Semitic hate? Do they get the same type of attention that the white supremacist got in Charlottesville? That was Charlottesville, Virginia. This, this week, comes to you from Raleigh, North Carolina. Imam Abdullah Qadra said in his sermon on December 8th, 2017, no, this is not from Syria, this is not from Egypt, this is not from Iraq, or even the state-sponsored extremism of Saudi Arabia. No, or even ISIS. This is... North Carolina, in the belly of the United States of America. A Friday sermon by Syrian Imam Abdullah Qadra had talked about Haifa, Jaffa, as being Muslim lands. I'm going to give you some quotes in a second, but let me set the stage for you. This Imam was Syrian-born. He was cleared for entry to the U.S. on a religious work visa and had come to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2011. He applied for political asylum on under what uh, is described in the, in the reports under the Kori Masjid Ikra, I-Q-R-A, Academy Educational Program, and he teaches at uh, multiple Islamic centers. He has taught at the Islamic Association of Raleigh, North Carolina, and he's an active preacher in a number of mosques in the area. He has his own YouTube channel, which posts videos of himself and has 2,000 subscribers. And he has some obviously pro-Palestinian content and anti-Semitic content. He even had some Christmas greetings. Now, you may recognize the name because earlier in 2017, he got some media attention because his four-year-old daughter was not allowed to re-enter the United States after a visit with relatives in Lebanon in October 2016. And she was reunited in February 2017. So, and then, in April 2017, this is all reported from memory, he had an interview about the U.S. airstrikes against the Assad regime in Syria, and he expressed satisfaction and added that without the removal, the massacres will continue. So this is something I've said here. So obviously he has some political viewpoints that appear to be moderate wishes, Christmas greetings, etc. But what did he say in a sermon on December 8th, on Friday? He said, our first qibla, or direction of prayer, now it's Mecca, but our first qibla, dear brothers and sisters, it is not new that it is under the occupation since 1967. It is not new that the other parts, the neighboring parts of Al-Quds, Jerusalem, which is Palestine, Jaffa, Haifa, those cities that have been changed in their names and their people, we should never forget that this is a Muslim land. So you see, he said this in the first week of December after President Trump stated the obvious was that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. He said further, Abdullah Qadra in Raleigh, North Carolina, we should teach our children that it is our land and will remain our land and will return to us sooner or later. He's saying we should teach our children that. And the question is, will you be among those who will contribute regarding it or not? 
the Prophet Muhammad gave us glad tidings at the end of time. So he's talking about teaching the children that the Prophet Muhammad said at the end of time, we will fight those Jews until the rocks and the trees will speak. O Muslim, this is a Jew behind me. Remember, I talked to you many, many episodes ago about how I and another organization were one of the only ones back in 2004 when we participated in a declaration to condemn that hadith, that so-called hadith that said, that supposedly the Prophet said, kill a Jew behind every stone because the stones will speak for them as this horrifically anti-Semitic imam is talking about. And we had a hard time getting anybody to sign it at the time. Surprise, surprise. The imams not only will not sign it, they believe it is the word of Muhammad. We can talk about the authenticity of that word of Muhammad and what makes it weak, what makes it strong, but the bottom line is, is that you cannot reinterpret Quranic passages as long as you do not dismiss passages like this as inauthentic that deride the entire Jewish religion in a way that I just don't see in the Quran, which is we believe as Muslims to be the word of God. But the Hadith is not the word of God. The Hadith is a often contrived, misappropriated word of the Prophet Muhammad. And many of us believe that God said in the Quran that I've completed your religion today so that later the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad would not be written down as if they are God's words. And much of the reform in Islam has to come from marginalizing most, if not a majority, of the Hadith, the so-called sayings of the Prophet Muhammad that are filled with misogyny and anti-Semitism, etc. Most of the Hadith that I learned that are authentic, that are believed to be the most true, purest, and most authentic ones, our families have dismissed the weaker ones that are the ones filled with some of the misogyny and other things that are incompatible with modernity. This Imam Qadra goes on to say, these occupiers, aggressors, and murderers can take, can never take our city, our holy city, only if we are dead. If you are dead, they can do to you whatever they can, but if we are truly alive, they cannot May Allah make us those who are alive, who are aware of their holy places, who are defending their religion, and who move by all possible means to defend their rights. It is the place where our Lord Jesus, the prophet that we all believe in and love, he was born there. And from that spot he was saved from the Jews. This is the blood libel. Who tried to crucify him. Could you have a more anti-Semitic, sort of combined all the stereotypes of Jews into one pathetic sermon in Raleigh, North Carolina on December 7th? It's December 8th, I'm sorry. The wall at which the Prophet Muhammad tied his camel or animal, said this imam in North Carolina, Imam Qadra, is reserved by the Muslims. It is called the wall of the ascent to the heaven or the wall of the Burak. Even that wall, those occupiers made some legends and they made it their own wall and they distorted the facts. And then he ends his hateful screed. May Allah liberate the Al-Aqsa Mosque from the hands of the aggressors and the occupiers. May Allah destroy everyone who wants evil for Islam and Muslims. So, it's not only exposing these words that we should do, 
but I talk to you about reform all the time. And it's not just words. This is not just any old podcast. We have to be genuine. I have to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. How do we as Muslims walk the walk? What do we do with this kind of sermon that's published, publicized, not by Muslims, but by concerned citizens of Israel, of the Middle East, of the West, who see these sermons and want them exposed? Now, this imam probably had it removed. This mosque will probably come to apologize. But in the next segment, I want to talk about, so what happens next? What does reform look like? Apologies? You can't apologize for hadith that that is all over the internet and Islamic institutions as being supposedly the word of the Prophet Muhammad. What do we do with this? This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back. You know, I have to tell you, every week we talk about very many you know, different things. This is the essence, this subject. What do you do with imams? What do you do with institutions like the Islamic Association of Raleigh, Raleigh North, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina? What do you do with these institutions that allow screeds that are obviously un-American, anti-American, anti-Semitic, that are hateful, racist, that do so in the name of Islam. How do we use them to learn? And that's where the talk is no longer the talk, but the walk needs to be the walk. What do we do? Well, you know, I googled not only this imam, who hailed from Syria in 2011, supposedly coming here for freedom, and yes, he was anti-Assad. I'm anti-Assad. Yes, he's right. Assad radicalizes Muslims. But Assad is no theologian. He's a tool of the Iranian Republic, the Islamic Republic. He is a, a brutal, thuggish, militant, Ba'athist, national socialist of Syria. This imam is actually far more dangerous at spreading the theology of hate which is Islamism, which is Islamic theocracy. Because he takes the ideas of a religion and the sayings of it and, and, and appropriates passages as being from God that were contrived by men, tribal warlords, and put into supposedly the words of the Prophet Muhammad. 
And then he says this in response to a statement from a president of the United States that basically took off the table something that should have never been on the table, which is whether Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And this is not about the contested East Jerusalem that is currently under Palestinian control. This is about the areas of Jerusalem that are under Israeli control, where their capital, their ministries, their Knesset, their government, their seat of government, all is, where their Supreme Court is. Do you think, do you think, Imam Qadra, as you listed Haifa, Jaffa, Al-Quds, as coming back to the hands of Muslims, Haifa is in the middle of Israel. So you're basically talking about the annihilation of Israel as you sit in the lap of freedom here in America that rescued you from the hell that is your home country of Syria. And you tell us that a people ultimately that is the only democracy in the Middle East cannot name their own capital where their government is? And you are going to claim some type of religious ownership of that based on some twisted theocratic interpretation that you yourself said it was our first Qibli, which is the first direction, and now we no longer pray in that direction because at the time the Prophet Muhammad himself said that that caused too much disunity among the people of the book by Muslims praying to Jerusalem, so we no longer did that. And we prayed towards Mecca. But no, he still wants to look back as a Salafi rather than forward as a reformer. So when all of you, Muslim or non-Muslim, talk to your Muslim friends, these sermons, this is not the only one. You and I have talked about a crazy sermon from uh, uh, Muhammad, I can't remember his name, Al-Masri, I think, out of uh, Northern Virginia, who tried to legitimize and explain Female genital mutilation is no different than circumcision and necessary because women are born, according to this fascist, misogynistic Islamist, that they're born hypersexual and thus need clitorectomies. That's what the imam in Northern Virginia said. And it took him weeks, if not months, to walk that back. And I don't even think he was fired. Then the imam in the Los Angeles area, Santa Clara or, or somewhere there, gave a sermon basically saying the same thing as Condra just did. Talking about the Quds being Muslim land and going off on his anti-Semitic screed. And then the New Jersey imam that did the same thing a few years ago. On and on, imams sitting in the belly of freedom spewing things that if a white supremacist had said CNN and MSNBC would doing everything possible would be doing everything possible to tar and feather the right wing in America or President Trump with that speech. But no, today we won't hear this other than on the small footnotes and spread virally, small footnotes of Facebook in other words, and then spread virally by people who care about these ideologies. But this segment I wanted to talk to you about what do we do? What should Muslims do with each of these imams? This needs to start to build a, a, a louder noise that each of these, we need to march. We need to put op-eds out. We need to condemn and, and vociferously 
expose these imams as 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 preachers of hate as fascists of anti-semitic hate that that preach blood libel against jews that preach anti-american thought that need reform we need to expose these hadith and i would ask all of you look at our muslim reform movement declaration and i'll find for you the the declaration against genocide in which we wanted to condemn that hadith that I signed in 2004, I believe, or five, I can't remember which year, and nobody else would sign it other than one organization of ex-Muslims. Unbelievable. Muslims should be forced. Every quotation here that was taken supposedly at the word of the Prophet Muhammad, every Muslim should be held accountable as to whether we believe that's part of our religion. If you believe that it's part of our your religion as a Muslim that Haifa be part of Palestine and not part of Israel, you're an American. Because it is the policy of every free country and even the UN that Israel's borders are recognized and Israel is recognized as a democracy and as a country that deserves recognition like any other country. If you believe that Al-Quds has a religious significance that ultimately Muslims will defeat, then you are an enemy of the United States because you harbor a policy harbored by our enemies like the Khomeinists, like Hamas, like the Muslim Brotherhood, like the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, etc. Those are not our allies. And if you harbor those ideologies, then you believe in an idea that is incompatible with Americanism. So... Where are the Raleigh, uh, I'm sorry, the Raleigh, North Carolina Muslims? Why aren't they being pushed on every television station, ABC, CBS, NBC, in the local Raleigh, North Carolina media to be exposed as either supporters or apologists for the Islamist militancy and anti-Semitism of Abdullah Qadra? They should be put on notice. This should be pushed not only in op-eds, but in local media interviews, news interviews, wall-to-wall, week-to-week. And then not only should he be fired, but the mosque should be held accountable for its interpretation of the passages that were pulled from our theology to defend the anti-Semitism of Abdullah Qadra and defend the anti-Semitism of every other imam from New Jersey to California to Boston, on and on, imams that have preached sermons that we continue to just look at, shake our heads, SMH, and then we move on. We cannot move on anymore. Real reform is about not only shining the light but you shine the light like a magnifying glass with sun until it burns away, until the speech becomes marginalized to where it no longer has an imprint. It melts away from from being so egregious. Look at this last week in the Golden Globes. You had them all wearing black, and they're doing hashtags of Me Too, etc. That's great for women's rights, women's empowerment, feminism. A laudable goal. Finally trying to shift the culture of, of, of Hollywood, of, of a culture built on 
exploitation of vulnerable people who want to achieve things professionally. It's not just in Hollywood. This was seen also in the business community, in politics, as 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 a number of members of Congress had to withdraw and resign from the Senate and the House because of Me Too. Where is the hashtag against the honor brigade, as Ezra Nomani calls it? Where is the hashtag against the anti-Semitism to constantly shed light on the hate of Imam Qadra and all the Islamists in America and what they believe and where they stand on the anti-Semitism of these so-called sayings of the Prophet Muhammad. I read them to you last segment. Do Muslims believe, do Muslims believe that may Allah liberate the, the Jerusalem mosque from the hands of the aggressors and its occupiers and may Allah destroy everyone who wants evil for Islam and Muslims? Is that a supplication that you hear in your local mosque? If it is, they are the enemies of America and they are Islamist theocrats. And if they don't believe that, if they don't believe that, then they should fight those who believe that. They should protest against them and become part of the reform movement. Do they believe that the Prophet Muhammad gave us, quote, the glad tidings at the end of times, we will fight those Jews until the rocks and the trees will speak. O Muslim, this is a Jew behind me. Do we believe that as Muslims? Oh God, I do not. I do not believe that. Ask your fellow American citizens, Muslims, they don't believe that. If they don't know what I'm talking about, this is a saying out of the so-called hadith. I reject that. I don't believe the Prophet Muhammad said that. But I have a lot of work to prove that, and it's certainly a minority opinion. We have a lot of work to marginalize those beliefs as being the beliefs of Islam or not. But we have to start. And we need to reject not only this sermon, but reject the existence of that hadith as being part of Islam. That is what reform is about. Do your Muslim friends believe that these passages are part of Islam? Because if they believe that it's part of Islam, then there's no way to reform that. Then I agree with my naysayers that you can't reform that if if the Islamist militant hadiths that call for beheadings, that call for blasphemy and apostasy laws are part of the faith that can't be changed, then we're stuck. But if we can distill the purity, the peace, the compatibility with constitutionalism and secular society, an Islam that abandons, an Islam that abandons the theocracy, that abandons the evil of tyranny, of anti-Semitism and hate, and pulls out and deletes because of its fabrication, passages like this out of the Hadith, then that can be reformed. And that's what needs to happen. We need a cacophony of sounds, of speeches, of marches, of signs against mosques, against their imams, against their boards, against their leaders that apologize for these passages and demand that they delete them, that they remove them. Not talking about changing the Quran. If you notice, most of the hate and anti-Semitism comes from hadith that mostly is contrived. And that needs to be the first target, 
The second target is the the moderation and the contextualization historically of certain passages that, yes, there are difficulties with, like chapter 5 called the table. There are some passages in there about Jews and others that we do need to address, and I've addressed a year ago or so on some of these programs. But if you notice, the most militant, stereotypical, anti-Semitic passages come from hadith that we can easily dismiss because most of it was even written down 70 years at the earliest after the prophet died and are likely fabricated the more militant and grotesque they are. God would not have told us Muslims that the Arabic of the Quran completed their religion if it was going to further be written down 70 years later. And most of the hadith, the few that are that are, are authentic in the 70s or 80s of them that are that are known to be uh, authentic and part of the oral tradition and the Sirah, the, the stories of the Prophet are not part of this radicalism that has just virally continued to spread. And we're hearing more of it lately, and we need as Muslims to confront it now. Not yesterday, not later, now. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. There'll be a lot more, I'm sure, sadly, about radical imams, and we'll talk about that. I think that's one of the main heads of the spear, is confronting militant speech in American mosques. But right now, let's shift. Let's talk about Iran. Let's follow up. This is the issue of the year, I believe. Now, what do we make of what's happening in Iran is it the same tenor? There's still hundreds of thousands on and off in the street. The the quell has reduced a bit, and uh, the media attention has uh, continued to horrifically be obsessed with Donald Trump in every little minuscule of anything that comes out of the White House. And I'll tell you, it's pathological. It's pathological because the American citizens are missing out on what is happening in the world and ways in which we can influence it. It is amazing to me to read about the fact that if you look at the revolution that's brewing in Iran, it's happening and it's continuing because the government can't control it. This is one of the most locked down societies in the planet and the government has not been able to control it. And the American population is missing it. And by the way, who is helping the Iranian population to bypass one of the most ruthless regimes on the planet? The government shut down the internet within 48 to 72 hours. It shut down the internet in Iran. What are they doing? Well, there are companies based, many of which are out of LA, out of the United States, that are aspiring brilliant computer technology companies that have helped bypass the firewalls, bypass 
the attempt of the Iranian government to shut down access to the Internet. The Iranian government blocked all social media sites such as Twitter and Facebook in 2009 and then started to buckle down militarily on the people. And now they're doing even more. They've not only shut down social apps, they've shut down the entire Internet. And as the Wall Street Journal reported this week, encrypted social media app called Telegram is being widely used in Iran, has become one of the key communication tools among the protesters. They've used it to share information about demonstrations and videos of gatherings to let people know what's happening. Iran tried to block it in late December. Remember, before the revolution started, it tried to block it. It was unable to. So the revolution began by bypassing a lot of these old Iranian networks of the government and using Telegram to do that. When Telegram got blocked, we got a big push, said Michael Hull, co-founder of Siphon, a Toronto-based firm. This is not only L.A., but Toronto-based firm that makes one such app, according to the Wall Street Journal. And its users jumped in Iran from 3 million to 10 million on January 1 and 2 amid the protests. And now it remains around 8 million a day. Look at those numbers, ladies and gentlemen, 8 million a day. So the best marketing tool for these kind of apps and bypasses are government. Adam Fisk, founder of Lantern, another popular app, there's Telegram, Lantern, has become primarily used in China, announced that it would remove all data caps for users in Iran. This is America. Here you have an American company that is setting aside profit motives allowing them to browse banned sites and use banned services without limits so that it can feed a revolution. Remember back in 2009, under Obama, the government actually, our government, put pressure on cell phone companies to limit the use of its technology by the citizens of Iran against the government. Now, then it backtracked, and actually Obama, to his credit, told Nokia not to do that, but it was going back and forth. And now today, Hezbollah, the party of Obama, the mainstream media, as I called them last, last week, continues to ignore the rally, continues to ignore the reforms coming out of the potential revolution. And as Cliff May talked about, Sometimes, actually, the more ruthless, the more militant, the more vicious and tyrannical a regime is, the less apt revolutions are to succeed. We see this in Syria. We've seen it in history over and over. So that's why America needs to wake up. This revolution is just beginning. It may die off, but I don't think this one's very different. All of the reports are that this revolution, in 2009, it was more about economics. It was politics. It was sort of the moderate wing versus the more militant wing of the Khomeinis, and the militants won, and the moderates got snuffed out. This time, it's about economics. This time, it's about anti-theocracy. This time... This time they're saying, leave Gaza, leave Lebanon, my life for Iran. The protesters chant at Tehran University.
They chant, leave Syria, think of us. Leave Syria, think of us. Leave Syria, think of us. And they go on. Death to the mullahs. Death to the theocracy. Death to Hezbollah. They see the money coming in at hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. And they see that it's being spent on guns and not on butter, not on bread, not on economy. So even though they see the government improving and maybe infrastructure improving, they see it's not coming to help their economic situation at all. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, it is extremely important that the U.S. government, that our Congress now impose very strong sanctions on Iran. Now U.N. should speak very strongly against Iran because they are going to be at a tipping point. Because their economic liberation has been the oppression of their people. People see the discrepancy, the disparity between a government that is opulent and doing well and a people that are suffering. And that's what this revolution is about. Their economy is one-fiftieth the size of the United States economy, and yet it struggles with huge levels of inflation, unemployment, and the people are outraged. And they're connecting the outrage, the economic outrage, to the political theocratic outrage. This is a connection, a triple connection between economics, politics, and theocracy, or theology. That was not necessarily part of the connection of 2009. So that's what I think is going to make this a lot stronger, more potent revolution. Hopefully it'll continue. But if the United States and our media, we had the entire Golden Globe in black and everything happening, and not one comment was made about the Iranian people. Tell me, please, how many comments are made about freedom in Iran when you have Joy Behar talking about stones you know, that the next step out of the White House will be the stoning of gays in the streets, while actually a country that does do stoning of gays in the streets. While she criticizes the freest country on the planet here in America, she ignores people that are fighting against the government that throws gays from roofs, that denies even the existence of homosexuality at all, and eradicates those people who make personal choices and they do it in the name of Islam as a theocracy. That is what this revolution is about. People don't want them into foreign wars. They don't want an imperial Iran. They don't want Assad's war crimes. And finally, the Iranian people are speaking up. And if there's any solution in Syria, I think it's going to come, number one, out of a failure of the Khomeini in Iran, in which they finally start being focused on looking in. And number two, it'll be coming against Russia. And we're going to talk about that in the last segment. What's happening with Russia in Syria? So start asking, start demanding, that we cover what's happening in Iran, that the mainstream media not ignore it, that we begin to pay attention to the deep changes, that January 1 and 2, 2018 will be marked as the beginning of the Persian awakening. The Persian awakening. 
and that 1979 and the lessons of 1979 will not be forgotten. It certainly won't be forgotten by the Iranian people, but they can't do this alone. Their regime will wipe out a huge part of their population before they let go, unless the weight of the world helps them take over their own government. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. My entire life, when I'm around my three-year-old, is non-stop this. Okay, great. Sit. Stop. Don't. Just calm down. We just, just, we're going to just just hold it. If you just leave that, that, I told you, stop. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. Stop. And then you're going to cry. Stop. And then they cry and you go, I told told you 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 were going to, if you wouldn't listen, whatever. The entire time is that I shot my eye out. Right. Exactly. The Morning Blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment on this Blaze Radio Network. Well, we've uh, talked a lot uh, today, talked about a lot uh, from Iran to the anti Semitic rants of a Syrian so called refugee in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, one of the stories that uh, remains unsaid that also was uncovered in the West was the story about uh, a major drone attack on a large Russian base in Syria. And I think that's a significant story because there's a current sort of mantra. You saw uh, Putin and Assad uh, backslapping a few weeks ago saying that they got rid of ISIS. And, and we all know that it was General Mattis, President Trump that ultimately got rid of ISIS. Assad spent years getting rid of the moderates, genocidally assassinating Sunnis, and leaving the militant ISIS folks alone so that he could legitimize a tyrannical, immoral, corrupt, genocidal approach to the revolution. But now, there were stories this week of a series of attacks, mysterious attacks against the main Russian military base in Syria. It was conducted by a swarm of armed miniature drones that basically seemed to have the ability to have done quite a bit. Now, they didn't do that much damage, but who knows what could come next. It spurred, as the Stars and Stripes report uh, showed, a, a flurry of questions as to who may be responsible for what amounts to one of the largest military challenges yet to Russia's role in Syria. Uh, A number of drones, some of them had to be uh, shot down, others uh, committed attacks that uh, destroyed some property. Um, But bottom line, there were 13 drones. Uh, They didn't come down until there were electric countermeasures that were done, electronic countermeasures that were done. And uh, um, it came only a week after two Russian servicemen were killed in a sustained mortar assault on the same base, which appears to have caused some damage to Russian military assets. Now, the Russian defense ministry, per typical routine, denies the reports 
and um, it denies the fact that uh, seven warplanes were put out of action, including some Su-35 jets, Su-24 jets, and uh, um, a Russian journalist photographed, uh, actually posted some photographs suggesting that the planes had been hit. So you put the mortar attacks with the drone attacks, and it appears that the Russians are sustaining some attacks from entities that appear to be able to bruise them, if not give them a good body blow. And this is after the Russians already were talking about withdrawing forces, etc. Now, is this a real hit? Uh, Is it fake news, uh, a mechanism for the Russians to insist on maintaining a presence in Syria? I, I doubt it. I think it's real. I think the revolution is not going away in Syria. I think ultimately it'll move underground until they recoup over the next 6 to 12 to 18 and 24 months and become strong again to go to the streets again. And I think ultimately the only way out of Syria's division, I think this shows that the Syrian regime is a lot weaker than you think it is. And it shows how dependent they are on Iran. And that ultimately, if Iran weakens with this revolution, as we were discussing before, and if Russia is vulnerable, as Russia showed in Afghanistan and elsewhere, it will, it could stay long, but it ultimately does not have the the stomach to do so if it sustains a lot of losses. So ultimately... The Assad regime is not as strong as you thought. The anti-Assad, anti-Putin forces in Syria do have some capabilities. And I don't think the book is closed yet on the Syrian revolution. And I think these things all triangulate. I think that the, the, the diminishment and destruction of ISIS in Iraq will allow the non-Khomeinist supporting Sunnis and secular Shia in Iraq to begin to rebuild a coalition that can counter the Islamist Khomeinists and perhaps take back Iraq away from Iran. And we're going to see this dichotomy. And again, I think my, you know, the last point I wanted to leave you with this week is that we for so long forget the influence that the Iranians have. A withering Iran economically, militarily, socially, domestically against a revolution, against a nascent revolution, will abandon Qatar, will abandon the Houthis in Yemen, will abandon the threats against the Saudis, will abandon the Turks and their dreams of a caliphate and an Ottoman Empire. As you saw recently, the Turkish banker I talked about last week that was sending money to Iran to bypass sanctions and was arrested and convicted in the United States. So the Islamists and their dreams of a caliphate, be it Shia or Sunni, work together, hand in hand. And I think there is nothing more telling than the fact that, yes, we can figure out and work with those who share our values and our allies, but at the end of the day, it is the people themselves who will resurrect freedom, who will resurrect liberty, when they are able to unite 
in revolution and in a collective against tyranny, against theocracy. But we need to take sides. We need to take sides in this battle. We need to no longer talk about countering violent extremism, but rather talk about countering violent Islamism. And the Islamists of Iran and Khomeini, the Islamists of Hamas, the Islamists of the Brotherhood in Egypt, the Islamists of Hezbollah are our sworn enemies. And the Assads of this world, as tightly wound as they are to Iran, and the Islamists of Hezbollah will never be our allies. Not only are they the enemies of freedom and the enemies of humanity with their crimes against humanity, but they are the enemies of the West with their advocacy of theocracy. So, don't give up on Syria. Yes, our families are suffering in Damascus and Aleppo and Hama and Homs and all the cities that have suffered war crimes. But this little attack by drones preceded by mortar attacks against the Russians tells you there's still life. There is still life in the revolution in Syria. God bless those all over the world seeking freedom. God bless those who seek to unite with the countries that believe in freedom and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And may the days be numbered of governments that are tyrannies and especially those that are Islamic theocracies. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and I'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.